Well, that certainly is the question that we have been wrestling with uh, in this series. And I'm sure it's the question that you have asked at some point in your time, that if there is a good God who's all powerful and all loving, then why do bad things happen uh, to good people? And so this morning we're going to continue that series, uh, Acts of God, with a third message entitled Trusting God When Tempted and Falsely Accused. Uh, so let me invite you to take your Bibles. If you haven't, turn to Genesis chapter 39 as we continue to walk through the story of Joseph's life and see some incredible principles of what it looks like to trust God in difficult times. Uh, have you seen that T-shirt that reads this? Don't lead me into temptation. I can find it myself. Have you not found that to be true in your own life? I don't need someone to take me there. I just naturally gravitate towards temptation. It has a way of finding me. And the comedian uh, Oscar Wilde once said this. He said, I have found in life that I can resist everything except temptation. And so we certainly uh, resonate with that. We understand that principle. But the challenge oftentimes is that these slogans, if embraced, can lead to a casual or even a flippant attitude as it relates to sin. And so sometimes we joke about those transgressions to the point where we no longer see them and the struggle against temptation becomes less serious uh, than what God intended. Uh, the word Ezekiel prophesied, Ezekiel 18, the soul who sins uh, is the one who will die. Uh, so sin has lethal consequences. And this idea of getting a handle on temptation uh, is of utmost importance to us. Uh, so we're going to look at that this morning in Genesis chapter 39. But before we get there uh, in Genesis chapter 39, let, let me kind of give you some overarching principles as it relates to temptation that you need to have a handle on these things so that when we walk through this passage, these are just kind of some overarching principles as it relates to this idea of temptation, struggling against it, and uh, the reality of that in our lives as Christ followers. Uh, the first thing I want us to embrace this morning is the fact that spiritual warfare is real. Uh, scripture talks about it often. Scripture talks about the battle. Uh, Jesus said, don't fear the one who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in hell. And my experience is this, is that we also have a very difficult time in striking the right balance as it relates to spiritual warfare. Uh, if you're in a non-charismatic church, then you uh, know that it's true because you've read that in your Bible, but you don't actually live as if spiritual warfare is true. We just kind of brush it off and say, yeah, I know that's true, but we don't really live with the tension of that reality. Sometimes uh, those in a charismatic church uh, are on the other end of that spectrum. Uh, they feel that there is a demon hiding behind every bush, right? And so the truth of God's word is right there in the middle that it is real. It is a battle for the hearts and souls of men. However, uh, there is not a chocolate filled demon inside of every little fat boy. OK, and so somewhere in the middle uh, is the truth of that God's word and that spiritual warfare is absolutely real. Uh, the other thing I want you to see this morning as we battle against temptation uh, is that Satan is, is, is always advancing. That there is never a time where he is not advancing against us, the scripture in speaking of Satan. And, and the question often becomes, well, what is what is Satan doing right now? Like I get the final place of him. I understand what he did in eternity past and those things. But scripture uh, gives us some indicators. First, Peter, chapter five, describes him uh, like a ro roaming about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Elsewhere in scripture, it talks about Satan consistently going before the throne of God and uh, accusing the brethren. In other words, saying, look at them. And I thought they said they loved you and they don't belong to you and those kinds of things. And so in either one of those passages, there's no hint of retreat. It's always an advancing cause against us. And so spiritual warfare is real. Uh, Satan is always advancing. And then the third overarching principle before we get in the text this morning is this. Temptation comes uh, from various places. And so oftentimes we say that phrase, well, the devil made me do it, right? And sometimes that is true, but it's not always true. When we look at where temptation comes from, the scripture basically describes three sources of temptation 
before us. It talks about the world. It talks about the flesh. And then it does talk about our enemy, uh, Satan. Uh, when we talk about the world, if you run with the wrong crowd, uh, peer pressure intensifies temptation. The scripture says that bad company corrupts good character. And so we know that the world, the world around us, you know what I've noticed is that peer pressure doesn't end at junior high. Have you found that out? That there are people doing junior high immature things and the result is still that same thing they were struggling with in the sixth grade, which was peer pressure. I knew it was wrong. I normally wouldn't do that. But given the circumstances and the people around me, I found myself caught up in it. And so temptation comes from the world around us. Uh, Scripture also says that temptation comes from within us. It's our own sinful flesh desiring those things. Uh, The Apostle Paul said this. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature in Romans chapter 7. Uh, James chapter 1 says this in verses 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. And so, if you don't believe in human depravity and a fallen nature, then you have never told a two-year-old, don't touch. Or you have never taught a classroom of fifth grade boys. If you've done either one of those, you know that everyone has a sin nature. And so, uh, so the world around us, uh, the sin nature inside of us. But scripture also describes uh, that the devil is another source of temptation. Ephesians chapter six, verse 12 says this. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil and heavenly realms. Therefore... Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And so uh, God allows that temptation to happen to strengthen us. And Satan initiates temptation to try and destroy us. So we've got to be ready for his attacks. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse 11 says this, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And so as we begin to walk through this passage in Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 30, those are just kind of some overarching principles that are at work anytime we talk about spiritual temptation. So uh, let's look this morning. Joseph encountered temptation specifically uh, in this context, sexual temptation. Uh, so that'd be kind of the primary focus. But it's hope that these lessons uh, will apply and those principles are general no matter what the temptation is a person is facing. So Genesis chapter 39, let's pick it up. We're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 12. Verse one says, now, when Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, uh, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had put under his authority. So it was. From the time that he had made him an overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus, he left all that he had in Joseph's hands and did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form uh, and appearance. Uh, By the way, the Hebrew word there, Joseph, is actually in the English. It's translated Brad. I didn't know if you. Just trust me, I'm the pastor. All right. Handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. And she wasn't talking about taking that there, by the way. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know uh, what is with me in the house. And he's committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me. But you, because you are his wife. 
how then can I go to this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or uh, or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went to the house to do his work and none of the men of the house uh, was inside that she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and, and fled and ran uh, outside. And so uh, if you were this last week, let me kind of catch up to speed here real quick. We learned in Genesis chapter 37 that uh, Joseph's brothers hated him. Uh, he was his, clearly his father's uh, favorite. And so one day they kind of beat him up and they throw him into a cistern or a dry well. And uh, scripture says in Genesis 37, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. And so that's kind of the bridge of how he went from being in the well and sold in slavery to ending up here uh, in this house. Uh, the captain of Pharaoh's guard was a harsh guy. He was not a guy who you wanted to be in charge of you. They knew how to put people into submission. So one day here's Joseph, uh, the favorite of his wealthy father in Canaan, living the good life, living uh, all the things that he thought would, would happen. And then he finds himself in the lowly slave as a hardened soldier uh, in Egypt. And so have you not found this out to be true? Life can change incredibly quick. For good or for bad. And some of you have experienced that. Uh, you begin a day like any other, not suspecting that it will end differently. But one day you discover a spot uh, on your body, you go to the doctor and things are never the same. A teacher calls and says, we think your child may have a learning disability. You go into your boss's office and he says, we're downsizing. We no longer need you here. You find a note your spouse has written to a lover. You get a phone call and said, come quickly. Your father's had a heart attack. You're driving along and a truck pulls in front of you. The next moment you open your eyes, you're in intensive care and hooked up to all kinds of machines. And sometimes life can turn around that quickly. Sometimes it can turn around for good that quick. You get an unexpected bonus. You finally find that person you've been praying for. Your prodigal child finally comes home. And so life can change so quickly. That's why the writer of Proverbs said this. Don't brag about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring forth. And my experience is this, is that it's in those moments when life begins to change and change very quickly that some of the greatest temptation uh, comes our way. When life changes for the worse, we're often tempted to blame God. God, I thought you were good. I thought you loved me. I thought you were sovereign and you allowed this to happen. And temptation begins to creep into our lives where we're disappointed or disillusioned with God. We may become angry and bitter at God. And so in those times when life changes for the worse, we're tempted to begin to doubt God and his care and his uh, favor on us. But when life even changes uh, for the good, we're tempted to forget about God. You know, look, look what I've produced and look how my hard work has paid off and look what I've been able to accomplish in my life. Forgetting that James chapter one, verse 17 says this, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. And so oftentimes in those times of change, we find off that we're tempted to uh, doubt God and his love for us or tempted to doubt God's provision and how he blesses our lives. And so temptation is always upon us in the Christian life. There will never be a point in time where you lay your head down at night as it relates to temptation and say, I'm glad that's over. Because as soon as it passes, guess what? Another temptation is coming down the tracks full steam ahead. And so I want to walk us through three uh, principles of, of temptation. As we look at the text here uh, this morning in Genesis chapter 39. And the first one we see is simply this. Is that following Christ invites temptation. And some of you, you may have come to Christ and your life was difficult. And you found yourself wrestling with uh, temptation and giving in to temptation. All those consequences. You gave your life to Christ and you came to the painful realization that temptation didn't go away. How great would that be? 
that Christ comes into our life and we never wrestle with temptation again. The scripture just simply doesn't teach that Joseph's life took a 180 degree turn for the worse. At 17, he was a slave in Egypt. Nothing would ever be the same. And he could have pouted. He could have rebelled. He could have thrown his hands. He could have said, God, have you forgotten about those dreams? Remember when the sheaves rose up and they bowed down to me in the field? Remember when the sun and the moon, the 11 stars bowed down to me and you had this incredible plan of my life and this position of favor and authority? God, have you forgotten about that? Begin pouting and bitter at God. And Scripture says he didn't do that. He just began to trust God in the face of temptation. He understood even at a young age to listen, following God and honoring God with your life does not negate you from temptation. But the reality is, are you willing to trust God in the face of temptation, even when it looks like that won't work out for your good? Scripture says his diligence soon caught the attention of the owner. He just trusted God and said, God, this is the place you've allowed me to come. I, I don't doubt you. I trust you anyway. So so even though I'm here as a slave, I'm going to be the best slave that ever was. I'm going to have a great attitude. I'm going to work hard because God, in spite of all the things that have not worked out how I thought they would, I'm going to trust you for the right outcome. And so what happened in his life? Verse five said this, though it was in the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptians house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. And so Joseph there is trusting God, not understanding why, not not particularly liking the situation he finds himself in, but he's there trusting God. And because he trusts God in the face of that adversity, he begins to work hard. And Potiphar begins to say, hey, this, this guy's got a work ethic. This guy's got some skills and abilities. And so he begins to promote him over and over and over again until he comes to a place where he basically is the prime minister over all of Egypt. And the reason that temptation is built into following Christ is this, is that when you sign up to follow Christ, you're subscribing to a list of values and convictions that those in the world do not have. And every time that I say, this is how I'm going to live to bring honor to God, this is what it looks like to live a life solely surrendered to Jesus Christ. You're drawing a line in the sand and say, you know what, this is what my life looks like from values and convictions. And as soon as you draw that line on the other side of it. Is temptation. And here's what temptation says. Just walk across the line. Just step over. You, you can always step back. No one's watching. Quit being so legalistic. God will forgive you. That's all the things that temptation talks about when it's inviting us. And temptation dares us to cross the line. Guilt keeps us from looking back once we do cross the line and then shame comes along and does what it does best. It tells you to stay there on the other side of the line because that's who you are. Shame says the worst thing about you is the one thing you've ever done is also the truest thing about you. Shame says the worst thing you've ever done is the truest thing about you. The whole process starts off with temptation. I've never dealt with someone who is wrestling through shame and all those kinds of things that at some point in time didn't have a guilt about what they had done. And that guilt was always preceded by temptation and temptation always calls out, just cross the line. God knows your situation. God wants you to be happy. Just cross the line. And so anytime we start to follow Christ, temptation is a part of that when you're living with convictions and values. There's always been the temptation to forfeit those for what may seem like greater pleasure. Second principle we see in this text is this is that trusting God when tempted uh, is, is that temptation minimizes uh, real choices. Temptation always minimizes real choices. And so Joseph is a slave. Now he's Potiphar's primary assistant. Then after serving as a decade uh, to Potiphar, Joseph encounters a uh, alluring, life-changing temptation that comes his way. 
And that's what temptation says. It minimizes the fact that you have a choice. And temptation comes along and it says, well, listen, given the circumstance that there's no way out. I mean, Joseph, if you turn away his wife, she's going to speak poorly of you. You may end up back in prison and you come to a place where you say, you know what? I didn't want to do that. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't find any way out. Given the circumstances, it was the only choice I had. And that's always the lie that temptation tells us. Look at verses 6 through 10 again. Verse 6, it says this. He left all he had in Joseph's hand. He didn't know everything. Listen, he trusted Joseph so much, he didn't know what he had except for the bread on his table. And the verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master uh, doesn't know what is with me in the house. And he's committed all that he had to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you're his wife. That temptation there. This woman is the, the first lady of the kingdom. This lady, listen, this lady was the O.C. You know what the O.C. is? The original cougar. That's exactly what she was. Amen. And so here is Joseph, handsome and well built. And here's this powerful lady coming on to him. The scripture says it, it didn't happen once. It happened over and over again. So, so, so can you imagine going through Joseph's mind? Listen, given the circumstances, this really is the only choice I have. I mean, if, if I don't give into this and she tells a falsehood about me, then I'm going to end up back in prison and, and I'm the second in command. I don't have a choice. God understands and he knows my heart. And so given the choice, temptation says you don't have a real choice. So just give in. Think of the temptation, all the circumstantial things Joseph was battling against. Let me just rattle off some of these things that Joseph would have been fighting against in this temptation. He'd been fighting against his upbringing. Joseph was his clearly his father's favorite son. And because he was the favorite son, he was used to getting whatever he wanted. And so Joseph did not have a history of self-denial. Joseph's age, about this time, Joseph would have been 26 or 27 years old this time. He is a young, single man. Need I say more? Joseph was lonely. He was a slave. He was single. He was far from home. Those he was closest to had sold him into slavery. He would have been incredibly lonely at that point in time. His recent success, Joseph, how could it go wrong? I mean, everything you touch turns to gold. Look look at all this influence you have. And so Joseph's success, Joseph's appearance, the Bible says he was well built and handsome. And I can appreciate that. Joseph, Joseph's integrity would have added to temptation. It would have been a naive purity about him. And Potiphar's wife probably found that incredibly attractive, even challenging. Here's this guy standing for God. Here's this guy living with integrity. It would have been a challenge to her and her influence. His environment. Listen, the morals of Egypt weren't nearly as demanding as the values Joseph had learned as a Hebrew back in Canaan. And can you imagine? Hey, Joseph, don't you know that whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, right? You're not back in Canaan. They're not legalistic. No one's going to look down on you. They don't have those same values. No one we even talk about. No one even cares here in Egypt. That's just how we are. And so Joseph's environment would have been challenged. His ambitions, Joseph was driven. He was type A. Certainly, if he could have gotten good with Potiphar's wife, she would have spoke a good word on his behalf to keep that relationship going. Her persistence, Potiphar's wife, it says in the scripture, came after him day after day. Day after day. It wasn't a one time, hey, Joseph, I'm interested. I find you attractive. Are you interested? No. Okay, let's forget about this whole thing. Scripture says that repeatedly, day after day after day, she's pursuing him. 
And then the potential secrecy. The two were all in the house. And it didn't look like Joseph would ever got caught. Listen, if Joseph had taken a modern psychology course, he, he could have rationalized. My mother died when I was young. I was hated by my brothers. My whole family was dysfunctional. My father spoiled me. I'm all alone. I've been the victim of, of slavery and racial prejudice. I've been deprived of marriage. The morals of my peers are horrible. I have this strong sexual desire that God has placed in me. Surely God wants me to be happy. And he could have rationalized that temptation all the way. And folks, can I tell you this? That if I had a penny for every time I heard someone say, who gave in a temptation, who said this, I just feel like God wanted me to be happy. I could retire tomorrow. And I feel like I've said this a million times in 14 years, so let me make it a million and one. Listen, hear me this morning. God is not nearly as interested in your happiness as He is in your holiness. And the number of times that someone has given in temptation, they on the other side of that, they say, well, you know, I knew it was wrong, and, but I've been in this horrible situation and, and God understands and God knew that. And so at the end of the day, I just think that God wants me to be happy. And Joseph could have said that. Here I am a slave. Here I am in this situation. I'm lonely. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. God will understand. God wants me to be happy. But Joseph knew that God wanted me to be holy much more. Then he wanted to be happy. And I want to share with you something this morning that's incredibly important. Don't let your own flesh deceive you. God has promised this, that in every situation where temptation comes at you, God has made a way of escape. And that's what temptation says. That's how it works. That's how it deceives us. It says, given the circumstances, you don't have a choice. It's the lesser of two evils. You've got to do it because what else are you going to do? But Scripture says this, that God makes a promise that every single time, regardless of the context, when temptation comes into our life, God makes a promise that says when temptation comes, I will also provide for you a way of escape. And every single time God makes a promise, He puts His character on the line and the character of God does not fail. You say, where's that in the Bible? Write this down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is how the New Living Translation reads. The temptations in your life are no different than more from others experience. Is that not one of the ways temptation deceives us? Well, no one's ever been tempted like this before. I mean, I mean, no one's ever gone from being a slave to the prime minister and the first lady of the whole kingdom is coming on. I mean, no, no one's ever no one's ever been in this situation. So I don't think I can't talk to anyone because no one will understand this situation. First Corinthians ten thirteen says this, your temptation, whatever it is that comes upon you is common. And so what's it say? And God is faithful. And He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. You see, the whole lie that temptation tells us, well, you don't have another choice, is a lie. Because the promise of Scripture is every single time God gives you a way of escape. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Joseph beat the temptation because he followed uh, some important principles. Let me walk you through a couple of those. Number one, he maximized the consequences. He said, before I even get involved in this, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to maximize the consequences. And my experience is this, is when talking with people who are on the other side of temptation, who have given in, there's painful consequences. You know what they thought in the front end? It, it, I'm not hurting anyone. No one's going to find out. They begin to rationalize and minimize the consequences. Yes, I know it's wrong, but there, it won't be that big of a deal. And the person who successfully resists temptation does just the opposite. They maximize the consequences. 
Joseph said this, I can't do this against my master. Potiphar has been good to me. He's given me complete control over everything he owns except you. I can't betray him like that. Joseph knew if I indulge myself in this temptation, the, listen, Potiphar is not going to be happy. I'm going to go back to the place I came from. I'm going to give up all these things. He maximized the consequences and therefore he endured the temptation and trusted God in the face of it. Now, if you're here this morning and you find yourself in a season of temptation, it may be you may be involved in a flirtatious relationship with someone who's not married to you. It may be you may be in a work environment and you're tempted to forfeit your integrity or some other kind of way. Listen, let me tell you the most practical and powerful thing you can do, regardless of the temptation that you're facing this morning, is simply this, is to go home and to get by yourself and to write out every single potential consequence of giving into that temptation. Every single thing that could go wrong. And when you find yourself in the face of that temptation, you pull out that list and you remind yourself, here are all the things that can and probably will happen. Joseph maximized the consequence. He said, I know that the prime minister and all that I'm enjoying from that, it, it'll all be gone. It'll all be gone. Joseph also went on to say this. He said, I can't do this thing and sin against my God. That's another principle is this, is that realize when facing temptation, realize that sin never happens in a vacuum. Sin never happens in a vacuum. The number of times I've heard someone say, well, I knew it was wrong, but I, I wasn't hurting anyone else. Can I tell you something about sin? It never retreats. It never retreats. And so what happens is this, is someone says, I'm going to be involved in this and it's going to gratify my flesh. It's going to give me a little buzz, if you will. And it's exciting. But it's not hurting anyone else. And then what happens is that excitement begins to fade because what once was exciting is now common. And so then I move to the next level of temptation. And then I just think, well, I'll manage it right here. No one knows. I'm not hurting anyone. There's no consequences. And I'll just keep it right here. And then all of a sudden, that which was once exciting now becomes common. And then finally gets to the next level and it goes public and all the consequences. And we sit back and go, how did that happen? It all started this way with a person who said this. I'm not hurting anyone. And sin never happens in a vacuum. Because at the end of the day, all sin is sin against God and it hurts the Father. And so Joseph said, I'm going to maximize the consequences. All the privilege I'm experiencing will be gone in an instant. Joseph said, I can't do this against God. I, I cannot do that. And so he recognized that sin didn't happen in a vacuum. And many of us had to learn that principle. And the reality is simply this. When a person chooses to resist temptation, basically what they're saying is this. Whatever it is that God has for me in life will bring more joy than the temporary pleasure this sin will bring. Whatever it is that God has for me will bring more joy in the end than the temporary pleasure this sin will bring. And many of us had to learn the hard way, the old saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go, cost you more than you wanted to pay, and keep you longer than you wanted to stay. Joseph had to be committed to those principles because what happened, verse 11 and 12. But it happened about this time when Joseph went to the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Have you noticed this in Joseph's life? He has a hard time keeping, keeping his coats, does he not? Joseph just took off. 
And so let me tell you two more principles for beating temptation. One, we maximize the consequence. Two, we realize sin never happens in a vacuum. It affects other people. Uh, number three, uh, the thing Joseph did is he tried to avoid the temptation. Verse 10 says he refused to even be with her. He, he just he didn't want to be around that situation. And he would have had some responsibilities to manage the house and be in the house. But other than that, Scripture says he, he didn't want to be in her presence. There's an old country saying that says this. And so anybody here? Anybody here at Hillbilly, would you just raise your hand? Yeah, some of you are, and you don't even know it, by the way. I just want to share it, right? There's an old country saying that says this. If you don't intend on going in the house, stay off the front porch. If you don't have any intentions of going in the house, then stay off the front porch. And one writer said this. He said, don't flirt with temptation. Don't, don't, don't see how close you can get to it and be excited about it. He said, because no one ever jumps into hell. They just fool around the edges and fall in. And so Joseph tried to avoid temptation at all costs. And then the fourth thing we see in enduring temptation, trusting God, is Joseph ran from temptation. He fled. He left his coat. He just got out of there as fast as he could. You know what's interesting is this, is that sometimes when the Scripture talks about temptation, it tells us to stand firm, right? Stand firm, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you is what Scripture says. However, when it comes to sexual temptation, uh, Scripture always says flee from it. Run as fast as you can away from it. A reporter asked an African safari guy, they said, is it true that ferocious jungle animals won't harm you if you carry a torch? The jungle guy said, that depends on how fast you can carry it. Listen, carry it as fast as you can. You know why? Because here's what the writer of Proverbs says. No one among us can take hot coals to his chest and not get burned. Not a single one of us is what Scripture says. And so here's the final principle to see this morning is this. And quite honestly, this is a difficult truth, but it's, but it's true. Uh, simply this. Uh, resisting temptation does not guarantee the absence of affliction. One of those common scenarios that we get disappointed with God is, is this. God, I, I did right. And it didn't turn out right. And in American Christianity, we, we have a false theology that says, do right by God and he'll do right by you. That's the whole foundation of the prosperity gospel. You're faithful. You do all these things. You sow seeds and, and look what God will do for you. Here's the problem with that. That's not in the scriptures. That's not biblical Christianity. Sometimes they do the right thing and they still suffer affliction as a test to see, will you trust me now? We said over and over in Scripture, but oftentimes we, we don't we forget that principle and we get bitter because we do right and it doesn't seem to turn out right. And so here's Joseph. He's got this cougar on his heels, right? He flees. He runs. He does right. He resists her over and over. She's coming on to him day by day, the Scripture says. And so he did right. And so God is required to do right by him, right? No, no. Let's read the text. What's it say? Verse 13. And so it was when he when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called them into the house and spoke to them, saying, see, he has brought us this Hebrew to mock us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard there lift my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Surely it'll turn out right, right? The master will come home and say, oh. Must have been a misunderstanding. I mean, the, the reason this guy is who he is now, the second in command, is because of his integrity. Yeah, this guy's his record is spotless. It's totally misunderstanding, right? But that has to be how it turned out. He did right, so God, do right. How's it turn out? 
Verse 18. So it happened as I lifted my voice in crowd that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. And then Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Where's God when that happens? You do the right thing and it doesn't turn out right? You're going to trust God in that situation? Let me tell you where God is at in those times. God is at work behind the scenes. And let me tell you an incredibly important principle. You should write this down, memorize it, whatever it is, to retain it in your own heart and mind. is simply this. Do not mistake God's silence for His absence. Do not mistake God's silence for His absence. Can I remind you of this this morning? Church, at the very foundation of the Gospel teaches this, that in between Good Friday and that first Easter Sunday was a silent Saturday. And some of you are walking through a season in your life of silent Saturdays, wondering, God, where are you? God, I've done right. It's not turned out right. God, what what are you doing? God, listen, don't mistake those times of God's silence for his absence, because God, whether you and I see it or not, is working behind the scenes for our good and for his glory is what Scripture proclaims. You say, where was God in Joseph's life? Read the text. Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor to the side of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, there was his doing. And the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. That's why the old preacher Vance Hamner said this. He said, folks, when, listen, don't doubt in the dark what God's already revealed in the light. And just because he is silent does not mean he is absent. And in between every resurrection Sunday and a good Friday is a silent Saturday where God is at work for our good and his glory. Joseph, God bless him. He was everyone's favorite. He was his father's favorite. He was Potiphar's favorite. Unfortunately, he was Potiphar's wife's favorite, right? He became the prison guard's favorite. He just was at, God was at work just blessing his life, even when it looked like it wasn't turning out. For good. So let me give you three lessons and then we're done. Three lessons that should encourage us to be faithful and tempted. Number one, God's standards are permanent even in Egypt. God didn't change his values. He never came and said, Oh, Joseph, listen, now that you're in Egypt, I mean, just the Egyptians are wicked. It's not like you're back in Canaan, that Hebrew culture you grew up in. And so just do whatever you want, just give in to temptation. And even though the culture changed, God's values never changed. Morality is not determined by majority vote. To turn by the word of God. Number two, temptation is normal, but it's not sinful. Joseph wasn't sinful because the opportunity or desire to sin, but he could have given in that would have been so listen, the scripture even says of Jesus, he was tempted in all points, yet he sinned not. And so some of you have got this false guilt that's weighing you down because you, you feel tempted, you feel guilty about temptation. Listen, the only thing to feel guilty about temptation is when you don't trust God in the face of it. Temptation is normal. Number three. The rewards for faithfulness are enormous, but not always immediate. And we would think at the end of verse 12 that Joseph fled. And then all of a sudden it says, then Joseph took over and he was in charge of all the kingdom, right? I mean, that makes sense in our theology that the rewards would have been immediate. But here's what the scripture teaches over and over, that sometimes there is a long season between sowing and reaping. And the question is, will I trust God in the midst of that season? Will I still be faithful 
when walking through a season of silent Saturdays. And so to quote the late Jim Valvano, don't give up, don't ever give up. Why? Because the Scripture says this, that don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so I don't know what the temptation you're facing is. I don't know what the specifics of it. I don't know how strong it is. I don't know how persistent it is. I don't know how long you've been struggling with it. But here's what I know. No matter what the situation, the answer is still the same. Trust God. Choose Him. Trust that whatever it is He has for your life will bring more joy in the end than the temporary pleasure that temptation is offering you this morning. Trust God. I invite you to bow your heads with me.